If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, would you turn with me to John chapter 20? Uh, in just a minute, we'll be again looking at verse 21, then looking down through verse 23. If you're a guest this morning, one of the things we do at the beginning of it every new year is we spend the first several weeks looking at what are known as the spiritual disciplines. These are the holy habits, if you will, that help us to strengthen our spiritual muscles to become the men and women of God that he would desire us to be. We began by looking at how to move forward together in Bible study, digging into the Word, getting the Word into you. Then we looked at how to move forward together in prayer, becoming men and women of prayer. Last week, we looked at how to move forward together in worship, becoming a worshiping church, that God is looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And so that brings us this morning uh, to John chapter 20, verse 21. And I want us to focus our hearts and minds today on the Great Commission together. Looking there in verse number 21, John chapter 20, and if you have found your way there, say, uh-huh. uh-huh. And the Bible says down there, so Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Here in John 20, 21, we have what is the last of the commissions in the four Gospels. Near the end of each Gospel, Jesus gives us a commission. It's an order, a directive, a command, if you will. And each one of these different commissions has a different emphasis. For example, in the very well-known Matthew 28, 18 passage, the emphasis is on our authority. Jesus says there, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. That's why we never have to ask or wonder, is it my job to share the gospel? No, we have his authority. When you come to the gospel of Mark, the emphasis is on activity. Mark 16 verse 20 says, and they went out and preached everywhere, the, world, the Lord working with them. They went everywhere preaching the gospel because the Lord was working with them. Luke's emphasis is on ability. He says there in 24 verse 49, behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. That's why we must never attempt, we must never try to share the gospel in our own power and strength. No, we must always and only rely on the power of the Holy Spirit of God. But when you come to John 20, verse 21, the emphasis is not on our authority, even though it's there. It's not on our activity, again, even though it's there. And it's not even on our ability, although he mentions it in verse 22. No, when we read John 20, verse 21, and we hear the Lord Jesus Christ say, as the Father has sent me, I also send you, we begin to get an idea of just how personal and pressing this commission is. His mission is our commission. We live in a military town. We understand that. That makes sense to us. His mission is our commission. The word that I wrote out in the margin of my my Bible beside John 20 verse 21 is the word audacity. Think about it. Jesus said to a group of men, fearful men, discouraged men, defeated men, men that the world would consider to be abject failures. Jesus had the audacity to say to them, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. It sounds absolutely ridiculous, right? And yet that's exactly what he says. You know, a lot of times I think, and I shared this with the other services, I think that we take the blessings and the privileges uh, and opportunities of our Christian life for granted. We have a tendency, those of us who've been saved for a while, we've been walking with the Lord uh, for for a minute, uh, forgetting all of those awesome and amazing and miraculous things that we've received as a result of being born again. That's one of the reasons why I love being around new Christians so much. 
You get somebody who's just got saved, they've just come to know Jesus Christ, and they come here to John 20, verse 21, and they read where, where that verse that I just read for you. You don't have to get them fired up. They're already fired up. You don't have to get them excited. They're already excited. You don't have to do what I try to do with you all every single week and get you pumped up, and you all just many of y'all just sit there like bumps on the log in Jesus' name. But you don't have to do any of that at all. Why? Because they've read it. They understand it. They take it at face value. And as a result of that, they're like, wow, Jesus is saying to me that just as the Father sent him, now he's sending me. That is awesome. That's amazing. That is out of this world. I can't believe the privilege that I get to serve the Lord in this way. And yet those of us who've been saved for a while, we can read it and we can sing it and we can say it and it goes in one ear and right out the other. It comes out our mouth without ever having impacted our heart. Whenever you find yourself in that place, if you ever find yourself getting cold and calloused toward the Great Commission, if you ever get cold and complacent in the area of sharing your faith and the gospel in the area of witnessing, I want you to go back and I want you to read John 20, verse 21 once again. And I want you to hear the Lord Jesus Christ say to you, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Because right here in this one simple singular sentence, you're going to be reminded of all the amazing responsibilities, this divine commission that we have as a result of being followers of Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes this morning, and I really want you to do, you're going to get something here this morning. I know it's kind of a cloudy day, and I might be a little bit tired after a busy day yesterday, but I want you to write this down because I'm going to share some things with you this morning. You're not going to get at any other church in the CSRA. I told the other services, I know the other guys. I know what they can do and what they can't do. They can't do what I'm about to do for you this morning, all right? And so you're going to get something here today. You're not going to get at any other church here in the CSRA. So take some good notes, pay attention, put your thinking caps on, and be blessed by this today. Number one, as you come to John 20, verse 21, we understand that we've been commissioned to take his place. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Have you ever had to take somebody else's place in a job in, in, in a, maybe in where you work, you ever had to take somebody else's place? Maybe on a football team or a basketball team. Maybe, maybe you had a church and, and you had to take somebody's place last minute in the singing Christmas tree or the Easter uh, uh, presentation. You ever had to take somebody's place? Raise your hand. You ever had, it can be kind of scary, right? Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. What does that mean? What does it mean to take Jesus's place? Well, it means several things. Number one, it means that we have been accepted in Christ. If, if the Father has sent the Son, and now the Son is sending me, then that must mean that the Father has accepted me in the Son. You see, when Jesus Christ came to this earth, he took my place. He died my death for me that I might live his life for him. But now we know, the Bible tells us, he's gone back to heaven. And as a result of that, the only hands he has are our hands. The only lips he has are our lips. The only feet that he has are our feet. We have to take his place. He took our place. The Bible tells us that he identified himself with our with our rather our human nature and he became a man he identified himself with our sorrows and our burdens and he became our high priest he identified himself with my sins and became my redeemer and now he says to you and now he says to me 
I have fulfilled my responsibility in taking your place. Now you fulfill this responsibility by taking my place. It means that we have been accepted in Christ. It means something else. Number two, it means that we've been sent by Christ. The Father sent him, and now he has sent us. Forty times in the Gospel of John, we read where Jesus talks about being sent. I had a college buddy who wrote a book years ago entitled Live Sent. And that's what we're to do. We're to live lives that have been sent out by Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. He didn't didn't just show up. He was sent. He was sent with a commission by the Father. And now he says to us, I am sending you. It means that we've been sent by Christ. It means that we've been accepted in Christ. Number three, it means that we must become like Christ. If we're going to represent him, then we must become like him. If I'm going to represent Jesus, if I am taking his place, then it means that I must be accepted by him and I must be commissioned by him. And he's commissioned all of us. And so that means that we must become like him. And here's the thing. This is where so many times we blow it, right? I'll just tell you right now, it's a good thing this past week that people who don't know Jesus weren't around you or me because we blew it, right? I mean, you know, this past week, even this morning, I'm headed out to West. A little white truck gets in front of me in my way. I'm speaking tongues to this guy, trying to get out of my way. It's a really good thing that some lost person is not sitting there in my car and listening to me scream at the top of my lungs. It's a good thing that this past week that people who don't know Jesus weren't around you because you did the same thing. You blew it. You lost your mind. You, you blew a fuse. I mean, so if, if they had been around you this week, right, then we would have been embarrassed. If the Lord had called you home this week in the middle of what you were doing, if you had gone home in the middle of that meltdown you had or doing something you weren't supposed to be doing, you would have had some explaining to do, right? We must become like him if we're going to represent him. So you may not know this, but in church world, January and August, but January is that year where you, that time of the year where you have all the conferences, all the camp meetings. You have all the folks, you can watch it online, you have people talk about where they're headed and, the, and this boat trip and that kind of thing. So this is the time of year where you have all the conferences and all the seminars and people are running from this conference and to this convention center and this seminar and this summit. They're reading this book and they're reading this book and there's really nothing wrong with those things. But here's what I need you to understand. When you boil down all the conferences, when you boil down all the conventions, when you boil down all the camp meetings, when you boil down all the summits and seminars, when you boil down all the books, it just comes down to one thing. The Spirit of God wants to take the Word of God and make you more like the Son of God. That's what what He wants to happen. And so it means that we must become like Christ. It also means that we'll we'll be treated like Christ. Jesus said, if they rejected me, they'll reject you. The servant is not greater than his master. In other words, if they don't know my father and if they don't respect my father, then they're not going to have any respect for you. They're going to scourge you in the synagogues, is what he said. Paul talks about over in Colossians chapter 1, filling up in his flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Now, not his suffering for sins, that's finished. That was taken care of the cross. No, Paul is talking here about the sufferings that we endure now as people persecute his church. Saul on the road to Damascus. The Lord cries out, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul would have said, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting these crazy Christians. And yet he said, Saul, if you do it to them, you are persecuting me. 
And so if we are accepted by Christ and if we've been sent by Christ and if we are every day to become more and more like Christ, then we can just mark it down. We're going to be treated like Christ. And by the way, don't forget, they lied about him. They persecuted him. They threw all sorts of insults and wordy dirds at him. I'm waiting to see how long y'all took to get that. They called him all kinds of horrible things. They called him a blasphemer and a drunkard. They said that he was possessed by demons. And even the Orthodox conservative believers of his day, they crucified him. But it also means that we're going to be rewarded by Christ. Jesus said over in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely. Make sure it's falsely. If you're being a jerk and somebody says you're being a jerk, they're not persecuting you. They're just saying the truth. Thank you. No, make sure that, if they, that it's falsely. Why? For my sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Bible teaches that there will be rewards in heaven. I had a little old lady ask me, a little blue-haired lady asked me years ago, why, why are they blue hair? But I had a little blue-haired lady ask me years ago, and she said, do you do what you do for rewards? I said, no. But if he wants to give them to me, who am I to say no? The Bible talks about the fact that we're going to receive rewards in heaven, and there's going to be a special, specific reward for those who have suffered for his sake. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering. It's an awesome responsibility. We are taking his place to serve in the place of his mission. You know, the Bible, rather, the world knows very little about Jesus. Do you know that? And what little they do know, they might see in us, but it's very little. And Abilene, can I just say this to us today? Because we, we kind of pride ourselves in this. The world is not impressed by your theology. The world is not impressed by your doctrine. Now, that's important, but the world doesn't care. No, the world is watching us and listening to us. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. And so we have been sent. We have been commissioned. We've been commanded to take his place. Can you imagine what it must have been like when Jesus got back to heaven and Jesus is talking to some of the angels there and the angels look at Jesus and said, we don't understand. Lord, we watched those guys. We, we watched your disciples. We watched them forsake you. We, we saw Judas kiss you. We, we saw Peter as he denied you. And now you've left them with the responsibility of fulfilling your mission. The sheer audacity of it. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. We've been commissioned to take his place. If you're taking notes, jot down the second thing. We've been commissioned to share his power. Look in verse 22. Because when Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, 
I also send you, it must have come as a pretty big shock to these guys. Because when they heard Jesus Christ say that to them, they would have thought the same thing that you and I might have thought. Well, I'm not ready for this. I'm not prepared for this. There's no way that I'm ready to take your place. I hadn't even been to Bible college. I hadn't been to seminary. How in the world am I going to take your place? But look in verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. It's an interesting thing. And if you get time, you ought to go back and do some Bible study on this in your private prayer and devotional life. But you ought to go back and study the disciples' relationship to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. For example, in John chapter 14, we all know it. The disciples are gathered there in the upper room and Jesus is preparing them for his departure. And he keeps talking to them about the Holy Spirit. And he says in John 14 verse 16, And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, wait a minute. Let's go back here. How do they know him? How do they know him? He hadn't come yet. Well, because he said, for he dwells with you and will be with you. Look in verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. The first exposure that the, whole, that the disciples had to the Holy Spirit was when the Holy Spirit dwelt with them in the person of Jesus Christ. When our Lord was conceived, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Father gave Jesus Christ, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit without measure. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. What he did here on this earth, he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the disciples were able to see in him what the Holy Spirit can do in a human body. It's hard sometimes to get folks to accept the fact that, that what Jesus did here in his body on this earth, he did in the same power that's available to you and to me. He laid down his he laid aside his independent use of his divine attributes. We talked about this last week. Omniscience, omnipotence, om, omnipresence. He laid them aside. He would not act as God independently. That's why he wouldn't turn stones into bread. That's why he wouldn't jump off the, of the temple. The same Holy Spirit that energized Jesus Christ energizes us. And they saw what the Holy Spirit can do in a person. And Jesus is saying, the same Holy Spirit that has been with you is now going to be in you. John said that Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I thought about that for a while. Why did he breathe on them? Because, by the way, in today's world, you ain't supposed to do that. And I'm not talking about COVID. I'm talking about halitosis. Can I get an amen? <laughs> we were driving in this morning, and I looked over at Jack, and I said, where are my mints? He said, do you need them? I said, not now, but I will. He had put them over on the door, and I made him give them back. And on the way in, I make sure I always have mints. Hey, ushers, always have mints. And so why would he breathe on them? It's an amazing thing. You know, in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is represented by many pictures. He's oil and fire, water and light, dew and a dove, the sword of the Spirit. Why did he breathe? Oh, listen, I'm glad you're here this morning. You're about to get something. I mean, nobody else in town is about to get, so just take this down. Are y'all still here? Say amen. amen. Listen to this right here. This is better than good. This is worth getting them to come to church for us. Why did he breathe on them? 
it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 when God made Adam. And the Bible says that he formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. And the Bible says that he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and Adam became a living soul. The Hebrew there is Adam became a living liver. I've always kind of thought that was funny. But he breathed into Adam's nostrils and he became a living soul. And it's just like Jesus is saying here in John chapter 20. Through my death, burial, and resurrection, there is now a new creation. Receive the Holy Spirit. And just as Adam received life from God, the church receives life from Jesus Christ. He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Which, by the way, That reminds me of another commission that's found in the New Testament over in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Where the Bible says there, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. My pastor Adrian Rogers used to say, he said, if God were to take the Holy Spirit out of the church, a lot of what the church does Rather, if, the, if God were to take the Holy Spirit out of the world, then a lot of what the church does would go on as if nothing had ever happened. And most folks would never know the difference. Why? Because far too many times we, re, we are energized by our own power. We are relying upon our own wisdom. We are dependent upon our own strength. And yet we've been commissioned to take his place. We've been commissioned to share his power. And then verse 23, we've been commissioned to fulfill his purpose. But I want you to misunderstand verse 23. In verse 23, Jesus did not confer upon his disciples the priestly privilege of dispensing forgiveness like our Catholic friends believe. No, he gave them the ambassador's responsibility of announcing forgiveness. None of the disciples ever said to anybody, in the name of Jesus, I now forgive you. None of them said that. Not one of them ever said anything like that. So what is Jesus saying in verse 23? He's saying there, I came to deal with sin. John 3, 16, we all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Think about those two words, perish and saved. What do those two words tell us? They tell us that Jesus came to deal with sin. When he was born, he was born in such a way to remind us that we're all sinners. He had to be born conceived of the Holy Spirit so that he might have a sinless nature. When you and I are born, we're born with a sinful nature. But Jesus, as he lived on this earth, he was very life exposed sin. Jesus said, I've come as a light into this world. When he died, he died to redeem us from sin. Jesus did not die as a martyr with a lost cause. He died as a mediator with a finished work. He's now risen from the dead. He's ascended back into heaven. And now the Bible says that he's interceding for his church. And the church is to continue his work here on this earth. So what work was he doing? He was dealing with sin. Go back and listen to his very first sermon that we ever have recorded for us over in the Gospel of Luke. He's reminding us how terrible and tragic 
sin is. We all live with sin. It's all around us. We saw it over the weekend. You see it all over the news every single night. We all see it in us. We commit sin. And sadly, as a result of that, we end up getting used to it. But listen to what Jesus said as he preached his very first sermon. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus said that he came for the bankrupt because sin always leaves you poor. He came for the brokenhearted because that's what sin does. It leaves you with nothing but heartache and heartbreak. He came for the bound because sin promises freedom, but it always brings bondage. He came for the blind because sin causes you not to be able to see like you should be able to see. He came for the burden. The word there literally means crushed, crushed under the burdens that are too heavy to carry and circumstances that you just can't face. And he came, he said, I came to settle the problem of sin. And here's the thing. We're blessed to get to be a part of that. How? We've been commissioned to fulfill his purpose. How do we do this? Well, we don't do it by going out and going, now by the authority vested in me. No. That's not what we do at all. I now pronounce, no, no, we don't do that. No, no disciple ever did that. No, nobody ever did that. If anybody could have done that, it would have been Peter. But yet Peter over in Acts chapter 10, the Bible says there, he's quoted in verse 42. And he, Jesus, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sin. And then the Bible says that Peter went to open his mouth and he couldn't say anything. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God came down. Why? Because when they heard him say whoever, those Gentiles said that must mean us. And they believed the Holy Spirit came and they were saved. And then Peter said, all right, now that you've been saved, now let's baptize you. By the way, that's the right order. There's some people who get believing and baptizing backwards. But you believe first and then you're baptized. You don't be baptized in order to believe. And then Jesus said to his disciples and the other ones that were there in the upper room, I'm giving to you the privilege and the responsibility of helping to fulfill my purpose. I'm not giving to you the privilege of dispensing forgiveness. That's what I do. That's my job. Only Jesus can forgive sin. Did you know that? You don't, you can't go into some little closet and have some guy on the other side of a screen forgive your sin. He doesn't have the power, the authority to do that. Only Jesus has the authority to forgive sin. But Jesus said, I'm giving you the wonderful privilege and responsibility of declaring forgiveness. That's why you and I can stand up anytime, anywhere, say to anybody, whoever believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins. That's what he's talking about. Peter first told them that they were sinners, that Jesus is the judge. And then he told them that they could be saved because he's the Savior. That's what it's all about. The amazing, wonderful privilege of telling people that their sins can be forgiven. But it doesn't, this privilege doesn't belong to some little small select elect group of specially trained and ordained people. It doesn't belong to, not at all. 
This privilege has been given to every single believer. Wherever we go, are y'all still there? Because I've done some pretty good preaching today. Josh, you know when it's good. Wherever we go, we are commissioned and commanded by our Lord to declare the good news that sins can be forgiven. You know, I can't think of a more important, significant position than the position that we're in as Christians. And if I'm speaking to somebody here this morning, we get ready, ready, ready to wrap up. If I'm speaking to somebody here today and you've been taking this responsibility lightly, you've been taking it for granted. And maybe you say this morning, you know, it really doesn't matter what I do. Somebody else can do it. Pastor, we got all these folks on staff around here. Let them do it. They get paid to do it. That's not what Jesus said. It's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, as my Father has sent me, I also send you. And we've been commissioned to take his place. One of these days, we're going to give an account for what we've done or hadn't done. We've been commissioned to share his power. And one of these days, we're going to give an account for how we have used or not used the gifts that we've been given as a result of the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been commissioned to fulfill his purpose. God's purpose in this world is to change people's lives. That sinners might be saved, that the bound might be set free, that the blind might have their eyes open, that the bankrupt might share in the riches of Christ, that the burden might, and the broken might be healed. That's why we're here. As a church, Abilene, that's why we're here. That's why we've been here almost 250 years. We predate the United States. We have this responsibility. And one of these days, we're going to give an account for what we've done or not done. Have we fulfilled our responsibilities? Because Jesus has. Jesus fulfilled his responsibilities. He said to the Father, Father, I have finished the work that you've given me to do. Now I'm turning the work over to them. I do not pray for the world, but I pray for them that you've given me out of the world as the Father has sent me. I am sending you. And my prayer is that this year that you and I will live sent. That we will go forward together in sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because there are people that we know and love. There are people that we're around every single day. There are people that we work with, play on the sports teams with, who if they were to die today, they would go to hell. Forever and ever and ever and ever. And I didn't do this early enough in the first service. I did it better out at West. Let me, let me do it hopefully even better here. Third time's a charm. How many of you all have a close family, an immediate family member that as best as you know, doesn't know Jesus. They're not saved. Raise your hand. Keep it up. All right, just keep it up. Keep it up. John, you're going to learn they can't take directions at all. You ought to see the Christmas service. It's something. How many of you all have extended family, as far as you know, don't know Jesus? They're lost. Raise your hand. 
How many of you all have friends that you work with, as far as you know, they're lost? How many of y'all live next to people who are lost? How many of y'all just know somebody who's lost? Everybody ought to have your hand up. What are you going to do about that in 2023? You say, well, let somebody else handle it. That ain't the way it works. God put you in their life. God put them in your sphere of influence. For you to have the opportunity to tell them what Jesus has done for them, to warn them that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And my prayer is that this year that you will begin to be more intentional, that we as a church be more intentional in sharing the good news of the gospel with Jesus Christ, with those that we know and love and come in contact with.